Amen, saints of God. It's another day that the Lord has made. And let us be glad in it. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And even though weeping may endure for a night, joy, (laughs) unspeakable joy comes in the morning. Amen. That's good news, ain't it? Hallelujah. Praise his holy name. And we know better than anybody that weeping does come. But we got that joy that the world didn't give. (laughs) And the world sure enough can't take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen. And so today, um, got an interesting text to deal with. Amen. To start off 2015. Amen. Let us draw our attention to the gospel according to Luke. Chapter 14, the gospel according to Luke. Chapter 14. And in chapter 14, when you have it, we will turn our attention and shine a spotlight starting at verse 16. As a matter of fact, let us start with verse 15 to give us a little bit of a context. In the gospel according to Luke chapter 14, starting at verse 15, we will find these words. Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, 
And bring in here the poor and the maim and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel those to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And I just want to talk to you a few moments from the thought. The invitation has been sent. The invitation, Deacon Johnson, it has been sent. This particular text that we are dealing with, it has a an air of celebration, but at the same time, an air of sadness. First of all, there was a great supper that was prepared. It's good news to know that God has prepared for us a great supper that we might eat and become full. But there's one thing about having a supper. A supper alone is not good enough unless you have an appetite. And in this story, one of the sad aspects is that there were some that were invited that didn't have an appetite. And I contend today that there are folks walking around all over this planet, all over this nation, all over this city, all over this community that don't have an appetite. That's serious business, y'all. And as we were talking in, in Sunday school this morning, talking about um, being able to receive dinner, uh, Sister Lance and I were talking about how we were sick over the last two weeks. And there was a time at which, and I love my wife's uh, lasagna, amen. And, and, and there was a time during the early part of last week that her lasagna sounded good, but that's all. Because my body just, it wasn't ready for it. It just, it couldn't receive it because I didn't have an appetite. Amen. Amen. My stomach was upset. And a lot of folks are walking around with an upset stomach and they don't even realize they have it. Amen. They're walking around with an upset stomach because every time somebody talks to them about Jesus, they just start to crinkle up and to cringe up 
and get mad and they don't even know why. They got to hurt their stomach because they can't receive the good supper that God has prepared for them. So as we look at our text, we see that a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. The certain man is the caricature of God who has prepared all of the gifts of glory in heaven for everyone who will receive it. He has prepared a kingdom called the kingdom of God. And he didn't just invite a few folks, but he invited many. See, the, the, the spiritual context of this allows us to see that when God chose the Israelites as his chosen people, he did not choose them only as the only ones by what means he wanted to use to come to a saving grace. But they would be a tool in his arsenal to reach the whole world with the good news of Jesus Christ. But unfortunately, there was a time which the Jews would refuse to believe in Jesus Christ. But yet, out of that number, he would have a remnant that would keep on pressing on and keep on telling the good news of Jesus Christ. That not only the Jew would know, but also the Gentile. And because of that, we are here today. We being Gentiles were cast out. We were out of the commonwealth of Israel. We were dejected. We were set aside. We were the heathen. We were the outcast. But the love of God looked beyond our faults and saw our need. The love of God sent a man named Paul as an apostle who was once a Judaizer himself and sent him out to the Gentiles to tell them of the glorious good news of the gospel message that Jesus Christ died once and for all for the sins of the world. But he didn't stay dead. He was buried and three days later he rose with all power in his hand. So this supper, this message, this, this culmination, this, this feast, this, all of these, these great gifts that God had prepared for the people were rejected. They were rejected because folks had other things on their minds. When we look at this text, we must realize that it's in the context of a meal that's being had with the Pharisees and Sadducees. It's in the context of sitting around some folks who didn't care nothing about Jesus anyhow. They had a form of godliness, but it was not according to knowledge. They had their own legalistic and religious ways, but they didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So, they were found out. They were exposed when the certain man said, come on, come to dinner. Supper is ready. The table is spread. What did they say? Let's look at the text. When he sent out his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, he had an open invitation. He said, come. For all things are ready. He says, you don't have to wait 
another minute, another hour, another second, they're ready. Come on, just as you are. Come on to the feast. It's ready. But the folks started to respond in a way that was not a way that the master would have liked them to respond to an invitation to such a great supper. Because in verse 18 we find, but they all with one accord began to make excuses. They all began to make excuses. Jesus is speaking right to the leaders of the Jewish people. He says, when you heard that I had come, you heard that the Lamb of God had entered the world. You didn't want to eat of my flesh. You didn't, you didn't want to take hold of me. You started to make excuses. They started to make excuses because the supper wasn't the way they wanted it to be. See, sometimes folk won't come to your dinner because they don't like what you serve. Amen? Huh? Am I right about it, Sister Butler? Amen. Sister Williams, you can put out a great spread. Or you got some ham out there, some pork chops maybe, some steak and greens. But if the folks don't have that kind of appetite, if they've been eating Doritos and Cheetos and that's all they eat, they ain't going to want no good food. Amen. And you're going to look like, what's wrong with them? Here's a free meal. Here's come and eat. Here's wholesomeness. But they reject it because they don't have the right kind of appetite. See, the religious leaders have been eating, but they hadn't been eating the good things of God. They had been eating their own oral traditions, their own made-up laws, and stuff they had come up with in order to be righteous. See, they had a self-righteousness, but not the kind of righteousness is unto salvation. Because as we studied on yesterday in Bible study, that you can't have a domestic righteousness because all of our righteousness is nothing but filthy rags. You have to have a foreign righteousness that can only come from Jesus Christ. But they didn't want to receive that righteousness. They wanted to keep their own. Eating Doritos and Cheetos and didn't, didn't have a good appetite. Amen. So they rejected him. And look, it says all. Not just some, but all. The nation, all of the leadership rejected Jesus Christ. Because they wanted Jesus to be prepared the way they wanted him to be prepared. They didn't want him to come from being born in a manger. They didn't want him to come as Joseph and Mary's baby, you know, they're like, what is this? And then somebody's saying that Joseph isn't his real father, that he was his father. Who? What's going on here? They say he even looks like an illegitimate child. Somebody says his father is God, but he's born and he's a child of Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You telling me Galilee? You telling me son of a carpenter? You telling me questionably his father? We don't even know who he is, and that's our savior. That's our Messiah. 
I don't think so. Our Messiah is going to come with white horses and great legions and overthrow governments. See, that's how they wanted him to come. So when he came like he did as a little baby, they didn't want to receive that because that's not what their appetite was desiring. And there's a lot of people who are desiring a lot of things, but they're not desiring Jesus. They're desiring their own way to do what they want to do, how they want to do it. Some people even say, well, I'll come to Jesus after I've done all I've done. I'm too young right now. I I, got to do my thing and then I'll come to the Lord. See, folk want to do things the way they want to do it. But see, Jesus, when he comes on the scene, he has requirements that don't match the natural desires of mankind. But the text lets us know that folks were willingly ready to reject him because they didn't have an appetite for this kind of meal. And then folks started to make excuses. Let's look at our text. The first one said, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. Now the first excuse comes with our desire to have things of this world and not things of God. The man was more concerned about some property that was going to burn up in the fire than it was he was about getting to know the one that would see him through. He, he was so concerned, this, this one, he was so concerned that, that, that I, I, I got to go see about this property. Not even realizing that if it had not been for the certain man, there wouldn't be any property for him to buy in the first place. But he started to make excuses. I don't know about you, but when I've talked to folks about the Lord and accepting Christ and coming into the church, everybody's got all kinds of excuses. Well, I got to get myself together. I I got I to gotta stop drinking or I got to stop smoking or, or I'm not old enough or I, I, I'm, I, I can't do this or I can't do that. Well, I, in a little while, uh, uh, in the summertime, I mean, a- after football season. But that's as crazy as this person sounds in rejecting the meal to go see some property that he bought is as crazy as what we hear about people accepting Jesus Christ. And we see that folks got all kinds of excuses because the second one came and said, he said, I bought five yoke oxen and I'm going to test them. See, folks want to see stuff and touch and work with things that's going to burn up. And while they're working with them things, they're losing their soul. Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? but to lose his soul. But folks not thinking about that. They're not thinking about the fact that these things are only temporary. Because, Sister Terry, we live in a secular world. We live in a world that's all about right now. It's all about right now. I I saw this... um, 
this, 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 this um, acronym, if, if you will, or acrostic that said um, Y-O-L-O something. And I looked at it and I said, what does this mean? And then suddenly the, the, the person told me, it said, you only live once. Now, huh. they write about it, aren't they? They only live once on this earth. But that's all they're really talking about. See, they're not even concerned about tomorrow. They're only concerned about today. YOLO. You only live once. See, that allows us to see we live in a secular society. A society that's concerned about the here and now. The pragmatist. What works for me? But the question we must ask them when we face them in this world is we must ask the question, works to what end? What works for me to what end? Is the end a fine car, a nice house? But after you have gained those things and the car has begun to rust and the house has begun to fall apart, then what? To climb a corporate ladder within a company that goes out of business? Then what? To work your days till your days are done and then you're sick on your bed of affliction? Then what? You only live once. You only live once. It, it, it's, the, it's, the, it's another big term for this which is called existentialism. But it's a big word that can be broke down and right at the beginning is the word exists. All they're concerned about is my existence right now. But you know it's sad when you see Christians acting just like that. That they're concerned more for right now and the things of right now than the things to come. If there's anything that I could say in this current generation, in this culture, to the church as a whole, that what you do now counts forever. What you do now just doesn't count for now. It counts forever. And there is a day that's coming that you will have an everlasting life and what you do today determines what your everlasting tomorrow looks like. Will it be in heaven or will it be in hell? You choose. But all the excuses, you, but I got to... I, I, I got to get a girlfriend right now. I, 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 you know, I'm by myself. I, I hear what you're saying, preacher, but I got to get that together right now. I, you know what? I, I'm all by myself, and I need, to, I, need a, I need a date. I need to get that together. And then once you get that date, what end? What, what's the end to all of that? Where are you going with this? But many people's concerns are there. Well, I got my favorite TV show is coming on tonight. I, I know there's Bible study, but uh, scandal's on. I, I got to watch scandal. 
I, I, I got to see what's happening next. They're seeing what's happening next as far as a TV show is concerned, but not where their soul is going to be and what is going to be their eternal home. Making excuses. But the invitation has been sent. We look at the text and we see in the third person that deals with just some of the same things we just got through talking about, said that I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. It's a crying shame when we worship the gift more than the giver. Once again, the master of this parable is the giver of this one's wife. He is, he is the giver of marriage. He is the institutor of it. But the same master said that in heaven there will be no giving in marriage. That there will be no husbands and wife in glory. Amen. Nothing wrong with marriage, but never put marriage over God. Never put marriage over getting to the supper, the food that will give you everlasting life. Still wanting to eat the stuff that only gives you temporary life, but not eat up those things that give you everlasting life. That's the problem in this text. The problem is in this text that the temporal was more important than the eternal. And if we don't watch it, saints, we can easily put that which is temporary before that which is eternal. We can get caught up in the issues of life and lose focus on that single thing that God has commissioned us to do. God has called us to be missionaries in this mission field called the world, to be in the world but not of the world, to reach and to teach, to seek and to save that which is lost. We've got a narrow focus, but yet we get so caught up in so many other things. Before we know it, we can't, Come study the one together. We can't come to church because we got a ball game to go to or we got some event to get caught up in. See, the world is setting up all kinds of stuff for us to get tangled up in so that we can't get to the word of God, that we can't get to the family so that we can start strategizing for the mission that God has called us into. This world is set up to be a big distraction a big smoke screen to keep us ripping and running, going to and fro, doing all kinds of things so we're too tired to do the primary thing, and that's to do the mission of God. Sometimes I've looked at my own schedule and said, it's too much. This is too much. I am doing too much. And then when I sit down and look at it, put it down on paper and see how valuable those things I'm doing that's taking up so much time, I realize that I've got a lot of stuff that ain't going to mean nothing when I see the master. Just stuff. 
But it has this pull of urgency, you know? You're like, oh, I got to be here. I, I got to be there and I got to do this. And before I know it, I'm doing all this. I'm wore out and I can't do the things that I need to do for the master. Amen. See, Jesus, when he was walking earth, he stayed focused. He could have got caught up in a bunch of stuff too. They said, well, you know, it was the days of the early church. I mean, I mean, they were walking around. But they still had a lot of things to do too. I mean, after all, he was going from city to city. Undoubtedly, they had all kind of things that he could see or do and get caught up in. And each city he went to. But he stayed focused. He stayed focused on that mission. He stayed focused on that mission because he knew where he was going. And he knew that what he did his day would have eternal consequences. What we do our days is not the same eternal consequences as what Jesus has had, but it's still on an order of magnitude in that area. Because the words that Jesus gives us to tell others, amen, are the words of life. Those are the words that take somebody that's on a slippery slope, one foot on the way into hell and another on a banana peel, takes them out of that, puts them on solid ground and on a pathway to heaven. It's those words. For Paul said in the first chapter of Romans, he said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. The gospel, the good news, the words that God has given you and me to tell the world about him is the same words that have the power to take them from on a road to hell and destruction to a life of bliss and heavenly living. We got it. But are we going to get caught up like these men got caught up and make excuses to do something else instead of do the master's work? Not saying that these other things aren't okay, but don't let them get in the way of your mission. Stay focused because our time is not long. The Bible says it is closer now than when we first believed. Amen. Jeremiah said the summer is far spent and the night is almost gone and still men are not saved. And we're living in a time that it's almost midnight. And men and women, boys and girls are still not saved. But we got the mission. Amen? We got the mission. So, so as we go on in this text, we find that so that servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house being angry said to his servants, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. There's some instruction here to the saints of God right here in this text. When the servant came back and told the master, you know them well folk over there who had that funny appetite, didn't want to eat it. They said, no, we got some other things to do. We got to, you know, we got some cattle we got to drive. We got some land we got to look at and see if uh, weeds are growing in it. We got, uh, you know, I got a wife. She's beautiful. I need to be with her. And they didn't want to come to your dinner. They, they didn't want none of this. The master was angry. 
but the master didn't sin. The Bible says, be angry, but sin not. See, the master could have said, well, get your swords and stuff and go out there and cut their heads off. If they don't want to come, kill them. No, no. What was his response? Should be our response as well. He had an anger, but it caused him to go further. To go beyond those ones who were right up close, who decided they wanted to do something else. Go on outside there and go, go out there into the streets and the lanes of the city. Go out to the folks that you hadn't been talking to regular. Go on past them ones that you've been working with in your house and they've been coming up with excuses. Now that they have rejected me and those friends of yours that just don't want to hear it, now go past them. Go on past them into the streets and the lane and find the winos and the drug addicts and prostitutes. And go on out there to those folks who are sick and lame, blind and maimed. Go on out there and tell them to come. Go on out there and get them that everybody else didn't count it out. Go on out there. That's my answer to their rejection. And see, what we have to do is not get caught up when folks don't want to come to the Lord. When you have given them the gospel and they've come up with excuses, you can just dust off your feet and go on. Because there's more people that can be told about the good news of Jesus Christ. And there's other folks who will come. See, sometimes we can get caught up because we love one or another so much, we can get so caught up in trying to save one or two or three that we burn up all our energy on them and forget about all those others. But you can give them the word, amen, amen. If they just choose to keep rejecting it, go on. Go on to folks that don't know your name. Go on to folks who haven't seen your face. Go on to folks who didn't even know you were around and tell them and it will be amazing who will be ready to receive. Amen. It'll be amazing on the bus stops of who you meet and who you talk to who are ready for the word. Amen. Go on, Pastor, in the name of Jesus. And the text goes on to say, and the servant said, Master, it is done. As you commanded and still there is room. I'm so glad that this is in the text because we find that by implication that when he went out into the maim and he went out to the lame, he went out to the blind, the halt, he went out to them that they received the message and they came to the supper. But God has a supper that's built that he can feed more than we could ever imagine. See, when we think we have run out, God says, no, there's still room. When we have, have felt like we have talked to everybody we can, there's still room. God has a feast that can feed everybody if they will. But look what happens when that contingent comes in. Look what happens when those who, they went out into the streets and God, what does the master do? Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you, 
that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. In these words, there was a word of condemnation for the self-righteous, for the leaders of that land who said, I got it all together. I, I know what I'm doing and I know where I am. I don't need you, Jesus. I don't need this gospel. I don't need to trust in you that you're going to die for my sins. I got the law. I got the prophets. I got the Sabbath. I got circumcision. I'm all right. I don't need to hear this from some kid from Nazareth. So there's folks out there today that says, you come and tell me that I'm a sinner. I'm not a sinner. I'm a good person. I help people. I do this thing. I'm all right. God's saying, those, there's a good potential. Those may never taste of his supper. But the text causes us to realize that even after we have dealt with our communities, amen, when we have done all that we believe that we could do in our community, God says there's still more work to do. He says go on out into the highways and hedges and keep compelling. Just keep moving. Keep taking. He says my kingdom is ready. My kingdom is ready and he wants it full. God is not wanting a half-filled kingdom. He wants a full kingdom. So for me and for you, it ought to give us a mindset for where we want to get about his business as quickly as we can. Because we realize that the job is large, but the laborers are few. So therefore, those who will, we get about the business in a hurry because our time is running out. Our time is running out because a few years or a few decades is nothing in comparison to eternity. Now, if we want to say something, we only have one life. The only, we only live once to serve the Lord. Amen. We only have one chance to help build the kingdom. Amen. And that time is now. But as I come to a close and we look at verse 24 once again, and it says, For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Those men who were invited. See, when the day of judgment comes and folks are standing at the great white throne of God, they're not going to have an excuse for saying that they did not know. They're not going to have an excuse for saying, well, I didn't hear about him. See, God has a plan that everybody gets a chance to hear about him. And they're going to get a chance to make a decision for him. But for those who will willingly reject the invitation, amen, some are going to their death and will never taste his supper. That's a sad state of affairs, isn't it? That there will be those who will go even after hearing the good news. So my words are to us to let us stay on the battlefield. Let us keep being the church 
and doing the work of the mission that he has sent for us to do. Because I don't even want my worst enemy to go to hell. Because I know that I could be my own worst enemy. Amen. If God had left me to my own devices, stealing and lying and cheating like I used to be, I could be my own worst enemy. But one day, one Thursday evening, in the receiving part of a warehouse, God touched my heart. And God said, come unto me. And I called and I said, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord is sending folks out who spoke with me, who spoke with others, and he's sending you and me out to speak to the world. That the old lands of the world who were going the wrong way might know that there is a reality in serving a true and living God. That one of these days, in that great coronation, that we can look around and see Johnny, and see Bob, and see James, and see Deborah and see those who we met on our road of witness that they accepted Jesus Christ and now they're in that great celebration and now they have been changed in a twinkling of an eye and now their life is like our life forevermore with the Lord what we do now counts forever amen the doors of the church are open Amen. Amen. Today is the day of salvation. While the blood is running warm in our veins. If ever there was a time, the time is now. Never take that for granted. Always search our hearts to know whether or not we're in relationship with God. Amen. And he is willing to save us. Just like we are. Weary, wounded, and torn. Come unto Jesus. Make up your
None came, but there is still plenty of good room. Amen. Amen. Amen, saints of God. As we get ready for our offering, amen, and our tithes and offering, and our benediction, amen, in this new year, 2015, amen, I encourage us as a whole to start looking at our schedules, to looking at our lives, looking at the things that cry out urgent, but are not important. That we look at them and we pare things down to the point that we make sure we have time for the master's plan. That if we can make a bigger portion of the master's mission than our own everyday life. So that at the end of the day, when we stick our swords into the sands of time to study war no more, we can be proud to know that we gave it our all. And that when we see our master, that he can say to us, thou faithful servant, thou good and faithful servant, enter in to the joy of the Lord. Amen? Amen. All right, let us stand. If all minds and hearts are clear, let us stand for our benediction. Amen. Oh, amen. That's right. It is first Sunday. Amen. We won't do benediction. Amen. So what we'll do is do an offering. Amen. And then go into the communion. Amen. Amen. We'll now be in the hands of Sister Lyons. <laughs>